In this episode, we will talk about sensitive content, including talk of abuse and severe depression that may be triggering or upsetting to some listeners. Please use discretion when listening. Listeners are advised to prioritize their mental health and well-being and to seek professional help if they are struggling with any of the issues discussed in this podcast. Welcome to the Shark Bears podcast. My name is Ron Knall and I'm one of the co-developers of Wireshark. Uh, in this podcast, we will discuss all things about Wireshark, as well as topics from the world of packet analysis and Sharkfest, which is our packet analysis and developer conference. You will meet interesting people and learn why the truth is always in the packets. Okay, welcome to the Shark Points podcast. Um, we're going to do a little bit of different episodes today. As you have heard in the last episode, SharkBite podcast originated from our own conference, SharkFest. And during this conference, we usually have something that's called SharkBites. Now, SharkBites is kind of keynote session where everyone who participates at SharkFest, every user who is attending, every developer, every presenter has the opportunity to present a topic uh, office choosing uh, in about five minutes or five slides. The only rule is that it shouldn't be a network-related topic, but we s tend to strive a little bit on that rule in the past as well. In effect, we get a lot of different ideas and a lot of different very interesting discussions going about people who do skydiving or deep-sea diving or people repairing pinpole machines or hacking old uh, vintage video games we had in the past. Um, one of them once in the last US was how to build your own keyboard. Every now and then we also get topics that are very personal and the very uh, deep level stuff like, for instance, people battling with cancer and how they, they overcome that. Or in the case of my two co-hosts tonight, uh, we had two topics on the last Sharkfest that was going around the topic of ADHD and how this affects people and how, yeah, it, it is a daily issue battling, especially with guys who do a lot of system development, network development, computer stuff. For whatever reason, this topic resonated quite a lot in our group and also quite a lot with other people who attended the conference. And so we thought, well, let's find half an hour, 40 minutes and talk about it a little bit more instead of doing just a presentation. And with that, I want to say hello to Chris Bidwell. And Ross Bergert is a longtime uh, contributor to Sharkfest. I don't. I think I have never attended a Sharkfest where your name didn't even come up, at least come up once. Uh, the first one I attended was the one in the Netherlands. I don't think you were there. But I was not at that one. No, it's been no. yeah, probably almost ten years that I've been going to Sharkfest. So. And Chris, we also crossed paths, uh, I think, two, three times in the past on, on various yeah. Sharkfest occasions. Let's start with Chris. Chris, uh, what was the reasoning behind bringing this topic to the Sharkbite? Or what was the idea of doing a Sharkbite about this topic? Well, for me, it kind of, it all happened around the time of the US Sharkfest this year. So I was attending that virtually because I couldn't make it out. Um, so... I was sat at home and I was in the middle of a sort of, well, I was in the middle of some time off from work, uh, some uh, long-term sick that I ended up on um, where I 
took some time out as declared unfit to work or rather not fit to return to work um, by occupational health because, um, yeah, I was going through medication titration um, for my diagnosis of ADHD uh, that had happened in February. Yeah, and so I was sat in my garden at that time with my dog and I was uh, thinking to myself that I was... This is something that I really feel passionate about. I'd heard a lot of the presenters um, and I'd, I'd felt the emotion and I, I could see them without seeing them. While, you know, attending from Zoom, not all of the presenters had uh, cameras up for all of the displays. Sometimes it was just slides that were being shown. And I could, I could see and feel Gerald and, and the others. And I was... I was warmed by that and I just really wanted to be there and I I felt a, a very sort of tribal connection and I'd been going through a process of discovery at that time in terms of trying to understand, you know, who I resonated with and who I kind of, who made sense in my world, uh, who was easy to make sense of and at that time it was very much a case of, I think that this is a community that that is impacted by this, should we say, um, <laughs> if not directly, but by uh, by colleagues and uh, and family members for sure. Um, but yeah, we um, it was something that I wanted really passionately to talk about because um, I got diagnosed at 37 and I was in a really dark place for quite a while and. You know, it was a struggle to get to where I got to, um, but I'm so grateful for the sort of understanding that came with that diagnosis and uh, the ability to connect with and and to claim ownership of and be validated in my in my description of how I'd lived my life and how I'd experienced it. And having that validation really just made me. I mean, it saved my life, um, saved my marriage, and um, in you know, no small part is the relief that came with that, the amount of worry that went away just because I suddenly knew more about who I was and why I was, and that was it was just such a relief. Um, so yeah, I, I was very, very passionately outspoken in terms of I wish somebody had sort of scream this in my face 15 years ago i mean i'd prefer that i was picked up in school and i'd uh, i'd been diagnosed as a child and maybe saved an awful lot of grief uh, but in uh, at least coming out of university i would have kind of hoped that by then somebody might have seen something and been able to raise it with me going into employment even um but yeah, if somebody had been screaming this at me 15 years ago, I'd like to think that I've been paying attention and that I might have reached for some help, um, some assistance, and uh, that I'd been able to resonate with it. Um, so, yeah, I basically, I, I thought, I've got to we, do it. You, so, you, know, you know, that's so hard, though, too, Chris, because, like, uh, getting a diagnosis of this, like, even if somebody screamed it in your face, uh, there's, there's just so much... Uh, uh, I don't know what the word is. There's there's a there's a lot of resistance obstacles, and obstacles. <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, negative stigma. talk. There's a negative stigma yeah. about ADHD and mental health and mental illness in general. Yeah, like yeah. it's absolutely and, and ADHD isn't a mental illness, uh, but it it definitely for for me at least and for you too, uh, it has definitely led to a lot of mental illness type symptoms. Right? 
uh, yeah, depression was, and anxiety and and uh, just inability to like function as a human in the world. I was. I, yeah. I, I have to admit, I'm not a diagnosed ADHD person per se. Um, I have something different, but on a, on a different scale. I have hypersensitivity, uh, which is when everything that comes to you, you take tenfold. So when you walk through a group of people, you have the feeling like everybody is looking at you, everybody's watching you, everybody's judging you, everybody's screaming at you. Noise is just unbearable at a certain point of view. In the past, you would have seen me running around always with headphones in because having music on was the only coping mechanism I knew. And I never knew what was wrong with me. I was always just feeling like I'm the weirdo. You know, I'm the weird kid that uh, stands a little bit offside of the group, uh, doesn't really fit in, can't relate to a lot of people, can't talk to a lot of people because pretty much in the third sentence, think, thinks, what the heck are they thinking about me? Do I, do I say something funny? Do I say something different? So I can relate very much to this this kind of feeling of relief that comes over you when you suddenly have something on paper that says well you fit into that group that that's what you have this is what's going on and yep. for me it was like i i can't even begin to describe the feeling of of relief once i knew that's what i was having and you can start to to create coping mechanisms that don't really try to mitigate the symptoms, but you can start to to find your path through how to to manage it, how to to control it, how to offset it in a way that it's it, your daily life becomes something that you can work with. Yep. Yeah, I I think uh, I think you know ADHD in general, you know the uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder well uh none of those words describe anything about my experience of adhd very well except yeah. maybe the attention a little bit but but that's that's really um that's that's really such a, a a tiny aspect of it you know you mentioned this this uh hypersensitivity and and i think um you know i i I would describe that along with hypersensitivity and emotional dysregulation where, you know, maybe your reaction to a situation is way more intense than the situation might actually warrant in reality. Yeah. Right. And, and that can be caused by all kinds of factors, right? You mentioned noise and noise is a challenge for me too. Uh, smell is a much bigger challenge for me. Like, uh, especially when I was in Europe, I think I, I paid attention to this the most. There's a men's cologne that uh, <laughs> that, that people wear, and it is uh, it is so strong to me. Uh, it will remove me from every situation I'm in, every conversation, every thought I have. It immediately ejects me from that, and I can only focus on the smell. And it's so overwhelming; it's painful. There are really bad things to ADHD and hypersensitivity. There are really things that are hard to explain and they're really tough to manage and tough to handle. But there are also some fun parts to it. Um, my mother-in-law has a perfume. When she enters my house, it doesn't matter on which floor I am, I can smell her. 
It's, it's not a bad smell. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't get me wrong. All right. But it's, my nose is so sensitive to diff, differentiations in the base level of smell. I can, if you put, if you put a bowl of oranges in front of me, I can be in the other room and tell you there is a bad one in there. And that, that can drive you batshit crazy. Especially when, when, like me, you're battling with migraines who are often onset by, by strong smells. But yeah, I totally get that. That this get jerks you out of a situation. Yeah, just it just yanks you out of it. And other people don't understand that. You know, I remember as a kid, you know, like I, I felt kind of bullied by my parents because I would comment on stuff that I was very sensitive to and they didn't like it at all. The grown ups are talking. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't, you don't feel that way. You don't need, you don't need to yeah, feel yeah. that way. You know, don't, don't worry about that. Like, don't, well, don't just ignore that smell. Just ignore that sound. Try harder. <laughs> just relax. Just relax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that try harder portion actually is, uh, I mean, it's got, it's got some really insidious roots, right? Or rather it takes some really insidious roots, especially when it moves into sort of corporate workplace. If you don't yeah. understand what you're dealing with and you move into the situation where you're dealing with performance reviews and peer reviews, where you're ex expected to be achieving at the top end of that scale, and all you can do is focus on being in that exceeds expectations category, how is that maintainable? And how is that a culture that can be continued to be pushed? And I was saying this earlier in terms of like um, the, the the work that I did, network engineering and network operations in particular, like it was very whack-a-mole in terms of it, it really appealed to the sort of the the impulsivity, the the high sort of distractibility, the real desire to fix something, to put out a fire, to show that I could do something, to demonstrate you know an ability, and. It was addictive, but so exhausting because it became yeah. my life. And oh. <laughs> the, the weird yeah. part, though, the weird, at least for me, the weird part, though, is that in, in sense of crisis management, if you have ADHD, if you have hypersensitivity, if you have all that kind, you really excel. I'm, I'm one of those persons when, when everything is running smooth, you don't want to have me around. I'm procrastinating, I can't focus, I won't be able to, to do stuff. If the building is fire, you want to have me there because I will guide you out of there. That, that's the thing. And as you said, Chris, it's immensely addictive. Uh, for the past two years, I had a job as a team lead of 25 people uh, in software development. And it was good. I was really good. I didn't see uh, the political clouds that were forming because I was stepping on a lot of toes. But in, in terms of the product, I was good. In terms of the management, management of my team and keeping my team healthy and happy, I was good. The problem is I was pretty much on straight way into manic depression hell because I was slowly but surely destroying everything that's me. And I was so focused on work. I was so focused on the thing. Exactly as you said, that the costs of that, I didn't see. Because I had something I was good at. Well, you don't really know any yeah. better at the time either, right? Because it's, it's, you're, you're solving a problem. It's stimulating. You're, you're, you know, 
you're, yeah. you're you're working through things. You're analyzing. Your brain is just like at least for me, what you're describing. That's when my brain is happiest. When I'm like taking all that processing power that I'm normally devoting to like like just processing the world and like constantly like thinking about things. I have something to put into that machine that spits out something real. You talked about the political consequences of that and being blind. Yeah. Uh, I pissed off a lot of people because I came out with ideas that hurt somebody's ego. Chris, yeah. Chris I'm guessing you can relate to this too. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in my line of work, I was fortunate enough in a sense to be able to fill as much time as I liked with work as much time as I liked to the, to the point that, you know, uh, portions of like during the pandemic while we were working from home, trying to essentially bootstrap remote access infrastructure for hundreds of employees um, that, you know, hadn't previously existed at that scale and ensure that it all ticked over. You know, there were weeks that it was 80, 90 hours and, you know, there were security vulnerabilities like, all over the place that we were dealing with on like a basically weekly basis that were just sapping time and eventually that that ability to consume all my time with it just led me to completely forget what it was like to have a life in a sense you know while we were during lockdown and things it was convenient to not have to go out actually <laughs> i was i was quite happy to to be like locked in my cave and to be able to spend as much time delving into as many different projects as i liked and that also turned out to be part of the problem right creating like a lot of mess with a lot of different projects that were started and just couldn't be finished because you know so it was uh, my, my recovery in a sense of like realizing like how life could be a lot of it was spent sitting in a field essentially <laughs> you know or, or different fields at different stages and being with dogs it turns out um and this is like some something similar to uh, like another trait that I, I think i alluded to in my shark bite that um in portugal um that i suspect i'm autistic I, I strongly believe I'm autistic. I don't have a diagnosis for it yet. And what, uh, what makes you think be. that you might be? For one thing, um, I have uh, extreme resonance with a few people who are similarly autistic and ADHD. In particular, one uh, a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, who's very successful in the cybersecurity industry. And she uh, went for a diagnosis for autism because she thought that's what was going on with her. She received a dual diagnosis. And the, we, all, we clicked very, very quickly when we met uh, years ago. She's the partner of a friend of mine that I'd known for years before. And when I was introduced to her, you know, we, we clicked instantly. We hugged and she was like, that's it. You give the best hugs. I thought it was autism a few years ago and raised it and was just told over and over again, I work with autistic people, you're not autistic. You know, like, and I'm like, well, <laughs> what the fuck is it then? Will right. somebody please tell me? <laughs> because like, it's all well and good you telling me that's not the way it is. And that's a really recurrent theme through my life is feeling persistently told that, that what I had said was not true because that's not what the other person resonated with. That's not the way the other person felt. And that caused yep. this great internal doubt. And uh, I was just bereft. 
like literally well so will somebody please tell me how it is then and realizing that people that are similarly uh gifted affected impacted uh tend to sort of fly together in terms of we stick together when we find each other um it was curious that this was also the experience of my dual diagnosis friend so this is why i've kind of more confident that i, I am <laughs> not to mention having read many many books having gone through the diagnostic criteria having uh, spent months with my adhd diagnosing psychiatrist pleading for a report that left open the possibility that it might be autism because i i I want to know what it is because I, I want to treat it all properly. I don't want to be treating one thing with something that is potentially antagonistic to another part of me. And you don't want to leave. To, you don't want to leave a question open. You you want to have all the questions at least to some extent answered. You won't have all yeah. the answers, but you want at to have some. some. Yeah. No. You know, and these are fairly big questions that are like fairly yeah. attainable if you have access to good healthcare. And that is one of the big challenges in this is the, the waiting times are really tough. So I, I was very privileged to be able to use private healthcare to be able to um, attain a, you know, a diagnosis in six weeks from when I placed my sort of first call is when I got diagnosed and I was prescribed medication a week later. It was very, very difficult to sort of realize how, how much sooner that intervention could have come in terms of the, the assistance of a diagnosis if I would have, you know, just got the balls up six months earlier when I'd first read a Reddit thread that's like made me resonate really hard for ADHD. Listen, the thing yeah. is, the thing is, you come to the point when you're ready. You, you don't come to the point when you're not yet ready and when you still have to battle with some demons. It doesn't bring you any satisfaction if you come to the same conclusion because you still have some battles to fight as soon as you are at the stage where you're coming when you, where you're ready to to face the next step the next diagnosis that's my strong belief then you will be presented with the options um but i resonate very much with with your idea about having autism because i mean i don't know if that many people know that but many of the common illnesses we know actually are not illnesses at all, but group descriptions. So if you say ADHD, you can have ADHD in a broad spectrum from till whatever. Uh, same goes with autism, same goes with epilepsy, for instance. I, as a child, I had epilepsy and I was quite of blown back when I got to the doctor and we made the first diagnosis and she pulled out a book about I don't know, about 15 centimeters thick. And I said, well, what's in there? And she said, all the types of epilepsy from band one. She has three of those. And the same goes with all of those autism uh, diagnostics and stuff like that. Uh, Ross, I think you you have a, fimil uh, a similar story, right? You have similar... Yeah, I I wanted to resonate a couple things with uh with with what Chris had said and you too, Roland, and that's um well one the one thing that stuck out the most for me what Chris had said is this uh, feeling unheard, and and uh, when you communicate things and not being heard, like for me that's that's probably one of the 
my biggest triggers that I have to work with with this. And, and part of that has to do with some childhood trauma of the same nature. But um, put that aside for a moment and you put, put that not feeling heard into an ADHD brain and have some, you know, you say something to a person that you need them to hear and they either dismiss it or they don't hear it or they do the exact opposite of the thing that was requested or, you know, any number of things. Um, it, it's, it's a real challenge. Uh, and it's it's devastating at times. I mean, it's it's devastated me many times when and and just caused me to go into days or weeks long uh, 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 mental breakdown events where I just couldn't even participate with my friends easily. Um, the the other thing that I that I can resonate with what Chris was saying, you know, I I think. Um, you know, what I hear Chris saying is, you know, I've, I was going through these massive struggles and I was asking for help and, and just know everybody's kind of like, I'm paraphrasing, right? <laughs> but everybody's and I, and based on my own experience too. And, you know, you're asking for help and people are turning away from you saying there's nothing wrong. And at least that's generally my experience. And I've, I've had terrible anxiety for most of my life. And, um, and I realize now at, well, I just turned 49. So I had my ADHD diagnosis at 48 years old. And uh, I look back at my life and I can see the source of almost all of that anxiety was related to uh, masking the ADHD stuff. So people would stop saying things like, that's not happening to you. That's not real. That's not a thing. Why do you do that? So um, I remember one of the counselors I had trying to deal with anxiety when I was in my 20s and just, I had just come out of the closet too. So I just come out of the closet. I was trying to discover myself again at 20 something years old, trying to deal with the anxiety that was just pervasive. And the counselor told me that there was nothing wrong with me, that my life was great, that everything was in order and there was nothing wrong. Yet I dealt with this torture in my mind every single day and I had no tools to deal with it. And I probably saw uh, maybe half a dozen other counselors uh, before I found somebody that I could actually work with. And uh, in, in that process though, every single one was the same. And we tr I tried basically every kind of antidepressant on the market and nothing was really good at all like yeah, I, I didn't really have depression was just a symptom of other stuff. So and, and I this comes all the way to today. So I found a counselor that helped me do some EMDR stuff a couple of years ago. And she she helped me understand some of the childhood trauma and some of the just growing up as a gay boy in the 80s during the AIDS epidemic and, and all the propaganda about that just scaring the crap out of me. Uh, she helped me work through a lot of that with EMDR. And uh, it wasn't until I found a counselor this year uh, to work through some new stuff, realizing that, yeah, I'm probably ADHD. And then I watched TikTok. TikTok started to show me ADHD, folks. And I'm like, oh, I resonate with that. I resonate with that. And even on this dual diagnosis with autism, like I resonate with a lot of that as well. And my counselor and I talked about that. And uh, he's like, you know, I've worked with lots of autistic children. He goes, getting an autistic diagnosis is really hard. And it may or may not add much value. 
But if you can relate to other autistic folks, like you can use some of the tools that they use to help yourself out. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I'm at on that. It, it, don't, it doesn't necessarily have to be the diagnostic, but it has to be the path, you know? It, it doesn't, you don't need necessarily the label, but you need to know that you're on the right track. Chris, I'm coming back to the point you made earlier. It's, it's kind of interesting. Once you find a path, once you find a group of people you resonate, once you find a group of people you click with, um, things start to fall into shape. It's not getting better. But it's, it's, you know, you, you start to, before that, you have to, like the feeling you're trapped in quicksand and you're struggling to find anything, any foothold, anything to hold on to. And, but you still have this feeling of drowning, of getting deeper in and not being able to cope, not being able to resonate. I remember a phone call where I, where I called her up and said, listen, I really need a session. And she said, well, have you, do you have time tomorrow? And I was like, whoa, never got a, <laughs> did I get a response in, in 12 hours. Uh, so, so this was like, okay, something's going on. I don't know what, but something seems to be happening. Um, but yeah, the thing is, what, uh, when you come to those people, when you come to this group of people, when you find people like that, uh, suddenly you, don't, you still feel like you're in quicksand but you still feel like drowning, but suddenly you have this, this feeling like you're not doing it alone anymore. You're, you're, yeah. you're not going Somebody's down yourself. Somebody's trodden this path before you. Yeah. There are I other mean, people treading this path and figuring it out just like you are. And yeah. you know what? Some of them have written that down and some yeah. of them are quite accomplished people. And some of them, it turns out, are people that you, you know, respect and idolize in some sense yeah their path might be not your path their path might their their strategies might be not your strategies but at, at least knowing that there is somebody who also had to cope with stuff like that also had to go forward with stuff like that that alone gives and made me it some, through and made it through to some extent yeah i mean it for for me that makes me feel heard yeah. <laughs> right like to know that other people have to deal with the same thing the same type of feeling of rejection and whatnot uh just to know that those people exist is is oftentimes enough to feel a little bit more like oh all right i'm not alone in this there's other people that have yeah. to deal with this too yeah i mean our society we, we we try to put stuff up front that's good that's nice that's cozy that's comfy cuddly stuff like that if you if you talk about depression uh, just with a therapist and yourself or your partner and you think well i'm having that and i seem to be weak nobody else is having that why do i have to battle that and then you start to talk with your neighbor and he comes with oh yeah depression i had that long time ago and stuff like that and suddenly why nobody is talking about that and that's one of the big problems you have you you it would be so much easier if you have a large group of people who tell you, hey, you know what? I had the same thing you had. I, th I think a good analog for that that I've sort of discovered recently is uh, middle-aged folk with back problems. <laughs> like that, those people who are, are suddenly starting to discover that their bodies are broken around like the sort of mid-30s, mid-40s sort of marks. Um, tend to maybe uh well in my recent opinion um i think that like learning to relax for somebody that has been tense for so long 
can leave your body physically <laughs> in a position where you are so crippled by your own relaxation yeah. that you, you know, the, the only thing holding you up was all of that worry, that internal tension, that dealing with and resisting the world to survive. Yeah. And that for whatever reason, you are now <clears throat> essentially crippled because you now can chill out, lie down, chill on the sofa and do nothing for half an hour. And by the end of it, be like, oh, no, my nerves are trapped because my posture is terrible. <laughs> and yeah, now I can't move. So, yeah, that's been that's been uh, uh, I, like, I think that there might be a, a reasonable analog in the uh, <laughs> in that let, sort of let's market. Let's not use the word crippled. Let's use the word challenge. But yeah. I totally get where you're coming from. I apologize for yes, uh, no, sensitive okay. language. It wasn't wasn't uh, the, a deliberate choice. Yeah, the the thing is, one of my themes throughout my whole life, and I think you guys can relate to that, is you know I would give anything in the world to be able to shut my brain off for an hour, <laughs> to be able to hit a switch and not think of anything and just have this void going on for an hour that would be bliss well you're not trying enough hard enough roland oh you have no <laughs> idea <laughs> no i i empathize so deeply with that man like to come back to like wire shark though you know i think one of the reasons that's kept me back to shark to to, to shark fest one of the reasons that's kept me coming back is because I've never found a community at a conference like I have at Sharkfest. Uh, yeah. You know, you go to like a conference like Cisco Live or uh, RSA or another security conference, and they're big and they are loud, right? It's a big, loud event that that uh, uh, for me, uh, I can. I, I, this is this is my ADHD and uh, and possibly autistic side, right? I love all the novelty, like all the new stuff is just like, I love it so much. But then gimme, gimme, you gimme. reach a point, and I'm like, this is too much new stuff. Please stop, stop. No, yeah. no, no. It's too much, too much. And uh, what I like about Shark Fest is that the the novelty is there, but it's it's hidden. And not hidden, but it's subtle. That, that's, that's probably the better word for it. It's subtle because all these people that are there are really interesting, really brilliant, and they all bring something really important to the table at that conference. And when you start to talk to them, the novelty shows up. But yeah, yeah. It, it's not loud. There's only a couple times where maybe it's a little overwhelming, maybe at a dinner or... Uh, at, at a, a presentation or something where you might be a little overwhelmed. But generally speaking, I feel like there's been a lot of compassion around that in the, the group to like mitigate that and kind of like tame it down. And, you know, no. you, have, you, have, you, have, you have some <laughs> options, you know. Uh, it's, a great com it's a great combination of group activities and alone activities that yeah. uh, for at least for my brain and my, you know, I, people label me instantly as an extrovert because I'm willing to talk to people and, and be, you know, whatever, share stories and whatnot. But in reality, a lot of times that's that's pretty overwhelming to me, like to be that extrovert. It's that's that's a mask of yeah. mine that I'm learning about that I put on to fit in. But it's not always comfortable. So Shark Fest really, really is a good group of people for that. 
I'm I'm the guy who walks through a uh, walks through a bar, sees a guy with a T-shirt, and starts up a conversation with him about the T-shirt. And, and hey, that's an interesting T-shirt. Where do you get it? Is this a band or stuff like that? And they are like, don't talk to me. But I'm like, yeah, I want to. I find it really interesting. Let's have a conversation about ten minutes. Yeah, I know. For me, I, I I remember in college, I was an orientation assistant. So uh, I helped like. I helped with all the freshmen uh, when they when they came in, and you know when when I look back at my life, I, I have to ask myself, you know, am I really an extrovert or an introvert? And I remember in those experiences where I was in a group of people and I was wildly uncomfortable, but I was in a leadership role, and I had to turn, I just had to turn off all of that discomfort and turn on some other side of myself that wasn't natural. Uh, yeah. And almost become an actor to like be motivating and be silly and goofy and uh, you know do something that was like wildly normally uncomfortable for me. And it was not me that was. I mean, of course, it was me doing that, but it didn't feel like the real me acting. It felt like uh, like I was trying to fit in, and I I had to turn off that. So like that's that's where I don't identify as an extrovert so much because when I am an extrovert, I often have to turn off some other side of myself in order to make that happen. And it's 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 draining, right? It's physically draining. At the end of the day, you stay here, you stay there, and you say, "Okay, I'm wasted. I'm done. I'm put me in bed. Yep. I can't do anything else." I was I was. I was a university lecturer for I think seven years. I was uh, was doing company trainings for the better part of fifteen years, and I really enjoyed it doing it. You know, but it, as you said, the minute I, I didn't do any preparation because I knew what I was talking about. I knew that I was saving. I could save myself from pretty much any point in the conversation because the topic was so known, so well known to me. But the minute I stepped out in front, I was playing a role. I was not me. That was never my personality. And I was getting all those compliments. You do this so great. You do this so well. What people didn't see was the minute I got into my car driving back home or got, uh, got back from the training back in my, uh, my own apartment, I was done. I was baked. I was like, you know, having run two marathons back, back to back. Yeah, all that acting is hard. Yeah. I remember yeah. just, just one, one thing because... The thing is, those diagnoses like ADHD, like hypersensitivity, they stuck with you from the beginning. You just don't know it. You have all those, when you look back and when you look back at scenarios, you have all those scenarios where you say, well, that would be a trigger point. That should be something that somebody would have to relate to and say, well, that's that. Obviously, come on. Why didn't somebody see it? Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, all, all of our parents were baby boomer generation. Um, so, you know, you look at what, what they experienced in as, as far as mental health stuff goes. And if you were diagnosed with a mental illness, that meant that you were basically going to end up in an institution. You might get fired from yeah. your job. You, you, the, the consequences to having mental illness were, were pretty socially devastating for their generation. And that slowly changed. However, the, the thought process uh, for that generation really stuck around because, because uh, it's just too easy to label somebody as having some type of mental illness or mental 
um, like neurodivergence. I really like that word a lot because there's not a lot of negative connotation to it. It's just like saying your brain works differently than maybe somebody than, than maybe the most of the population. Well, so some when, people some people have brown hair, some people have blonde hair, some people are right different ways of coloring their eyes or whatever and some people think just differently correct so like when i look back at that and and i and i hear all these mantras of like no you can't have that i remember when my my nephew or my uh, cousin was diagnosed with adhd and my folks literally said oh that's just bad parenting like you're just a bad (laughs) parent if you're doing that we're great parents and look at our great kid who has all these masks and who pretends so perfectly and is so perfectly behaved. Well, yeah, I was highly traumatized and, and I was trying to be the best boy I could to get the love I needed. Right. And as, but as you get older, you know, it's, it changes. And, and even, even my diagnosis, right. I went to a, uh, um, a PhD psychologist or psychologist, uh, to get my ADHD diagnosis. I paid him money to do it because it seemed like this was a really hard thing to get diagnosed as an adult, and uh, especially in the U.S. And I ended up getting that diagnosis. He wrote like a 15-page paper on it and had all the tests and that we did my four-hour, five hours of testing. And um, I took it to my healthcare provider to get a psychiatrist to get some medication for it then. And the psychiatrist told me that I paid for a bogus report that adults don't have ADHD, they grow out of it, and that uh, I don't have this problem. He, he did end up giving me medication, and it, like, it was transformative, like literally transformative. Uh, to where I can I actually do stuff now and I enjoy it. I don't like panic about panic and these anxiety attacks about trying to complete tasks. But um, I guess my point to that is is you know even the healthcare system is messed up because just weeks weeks ago my healthcare provider sent me like a mass email saying, hey, adults have ADHD. Maybe you should get it checked out <laughs> when their staff is saying that Late adults don't have it. <laughs> like, get, get your well, shit together. <laughs> the, the, term is still, the term is still connected to the image of the boy who sits in class and can't stand still and can't, yeah. co- uh, can't concentrate and can't focus. That's still the image people have in mind. And coming back to Bioshock and coming back to Sharkfest, I think this is one of the reasons our group works so well together. We are, there is, there is not this one person who jumps in front of the wagon. We are all coming there. It's a safe, it's, it's kind of like group therapy when we go to Sharkfest. It's, it's a family gathering. It's a lot of people coming together. There is not that person who is negative or is loud or is, is, is antisocial or stuff like that. There are very much people who are very guarded and, and, and keep to themselves. And that's absolutely fine. And it's, it's live and let live most of the time. And I enjoy it greatly because every time I speak to people like, for instance, I, I think Ross, it took us two, three times meeting until we first spoke together. Right. Sure. It, it, it took us a few iterations, but then we had, you know, great fun to to just goof off and and, and talk about I don't know all what kinds of stuff about. yeah 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 <laughs> but i think that's the other part of shark fest too is that uh you, you know it's it's a very niche topic 
Uh, Very niche. And the people that participated in it, uh, oftentimes, um, my general experience is, is almost everybody that shows up to SharkFest is, is both an expert in something, but definitely feels like they know nothing about anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so you go there and you, like I, I, I think uh, I mean I get imposter syndrome all the time, and yeah. uh, and so f- for me coming to Shark Fest, uh, qu- both enhances that imposter syndrome and it quells it right because eventually I find out somebody will come up to me and they'll say hey uh, you showed me this in this presentation and uh, I didn't I didn't actually know that before that was really really helpful to me. And when the whole time I'm thinking, geez, this person that's talking to me has been in this industry and looked at 10,000 more packet captures than I have, knows so much more about all these protocols. Like, what what do I bring to the table here to, only to find out that, you know, <laughs> they also have missing information and, and value other people's perspectives. So it's it's just, yeah. Yeah, that's I think I think that's the right that's the right sentiment, because we often as core developers we often talk around that and we don't every time we sit in a presentation we learn something new about our own program and we wrote that thing you know it's 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 kind of mind-boggling to me about i'm playing around with the source code of wireshark for 10 years now and i still find stuff out which i had no clue we could do uh and I, it's, it's that, that's one of the most fascinating things about this community, this program. We, yeah, we are absolutely niche. I mean, if, if you go to Cisco Live, I think you will find, I, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but you will find thousands of tracks about network management, network engineering, network administration, and stuff like that. I think you will find two about network analysis, and one of them will be about some $20,000 sniffer program yep. and the other one will be about some cloud service and somebody will mention Wireshark at one point. But there is this conference with 200 people who do nothing else than talk about this program and what it can do. And we absolutely niche. But at the same time, we are absolutely experts in very different fields. And even if it's just being big picture guy, architecture guy, TCP IP guy, I mean, it was... You know, when you're sitting, for instance, I was sitting uh, moderating in Kansas City the session from Jeff Carroll about IPv6. And I was like sitting there and for the first time it made sense. And, and I was like... <laughs> yeah, Jeff Carroll did that to me too, <laughs> like a decade finally ago. Finally, somebody <laughs> explained to me how IPv6 addresses work. And this is a one-hour session that goes in about nothing else than what an IPv6 address is. And I would bet you anything you can talk to anyone on Cisco Live and most people will have no clue what possibilities an IPv6 address has, except the obvious two, three, four clients they daily use. Well, I think so, that's, yeah, I that, think that, that, that lends itself to the ADHD brain too, because it's a, it's a tiny topic that has lots of information about it. Uh, and you're putting a bunch of nerds together that might a lot of them probably are ADHD or or autistic or somewhere on this neurodivergent spectrum. And that's a way to hyper-focus on really interesting stuff with a bunch of people who also know about that stuff and can share information. So it's, it's just a strange environment where, like, yeah, if you're a little bit introverted or a lot introverted 
and have ADHD, uh, I think what I've seen a lot of the attendees do is they end up becoming so interested in talking more about what they're learning. Uh, you have introverts that suddenly start talking to strangers uh, freely without much effort. And uh, I think that's that's really pretty amazing. Like that's a hard thing to curate. And the fact that uh, that conference and, and you know, it, t it took me figuring out that I have ADHD to figure out what maybe I'd like about the Shark Fest conference. Uh, and I think that's really it is that it allows people to share stuff, hyper focus on things and and uh, introverts start talking to each other natively without tons of prompts. I always have the feeling when I come back from Sharkfest, like I can run the world. You know, I have I have all this energy coming back from this conference, all this this drive to go forward. It's it's like reloading all your batteries because, as you put it, there you are, ten days with people where you have nothing to hide. You don't have to play a role. You can you can be completely yourself. It's ten days therapy, basically. To, to some of us. Not necessarily. I don't want to put any prospective Sharkfest visitors off by saying you do have to have a severe <laughs> mental deficit. No, no, uh, of course not. Well, I, I, don't, I don't see myself <laughs> as having any kind of deficit. Uh, ADHD, all, any kind of neurodivergence that I possess has been the, the bane of my success. You know, the way I teach courses, the way I approach engineering, all of that stuff has been because of this ADHD brain I have. I just didn't know it. You know, it just it just works really well. And other people comment, they're like, well, how do you do some of that stuff? And I'm like, I, I don't actually know. It's just, it just happens. I stick it in the brain and it... The, the problem is not us doing stuff. The problem is getting us to stop doing stuff. That's that's the real challenge. So guys, we we been at this now for an hour i think this was a really interesting conversation we had i think i really really appreciate you guys coming on and talking about this stuff uh hopefully not for the last time um uh, we have two shark fists coming up next year uh the first one being in san diego um we don't we don't have any dates yet but it will be sometime around end of june beginning of july something like that there will be another one in Europe by the end of the year. We still have to look for premises. Uh, there had been a small change in that regard, and we will find new premises. But yeah, it's going to happen by the end of the year next year. And hope to see you guys there. Any closing words, Chris, Ross? I really appreciate this as well. I mean, I, I of course, appreciate the Sharkfest or the Wireshark and Sharkfest groups. I mean, I keep showing up. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot from those groups. And... Um, uh, they are valuable in my life. And I, I also appreciate the ability to talk about this because, you know, on the surface, I, I don't seem like somebody who's ADHD, especially in social situations. I mean, I'm a teacher. I, I mask pretty well, so I seem pretty normal. But like in my day to day life, like a lot of it is, is quite a struggle. So to be able to talk about it, a lot of other people know that that's if, if you're struggling with this type of uh, uh, mental challenges, uh, that there is help out there. It's, it's hard to access, you know, but if you're persistent, uh, it's, it's going to come through, you know, Chris, Chris talked about, you know, he wishes somebody would be shouting at him 
to to like go get help for this and yeah i i wish that too but uh sometimes we have to right now at least we have to push through it and opportunities like this is just an opportunity to say hey yeah i seem normal i'm successful and i have this weird ass brain that's that's the best aspect we have this weird ass brain chris community it turns out is pretty powerful and like the shark first community in particular is is a a wonderful one a very warm a warm family of like-minded nerds and geeks and whatever else you identify as but you know community is just as valuable in a sense as medication or um, meditation or any of the other things that you might do to to give yourself space and in a sort of paradoxical sense communities where you can kind of be free and be easy and Sharkfest has a wonderful community and I just encourage anybody that's listening that you know come and find out about it and never leave <laughs> <laughs> oh we won't let right you up. <laughs> no I, I think I, I really appreciate what you said about community Chris we, it resonates very well with us and just just so you know it's very much appreciated and reciprocated I just w want to put one thing out you have this weird brain as you said and I personally appreciate that sentence because that's, I think, is a really good closing point to make. We have this weird brain, and it doesn't have to be an issue. It can be an opportunity. It can be something moving forward, and it can be something. You know, people often search for the one thing that differentiates them from the group, that puts them above others, or that makes them special, or something like that. We have those weird brains that do it for us. The only thing we have to learn is to cope with it, to deal with it, to manage it, and to appreciate it to some extent. That we have insights into stuff that maybe other people miss out on. And it's, it's really frustrating. It's really hard to manage at some point. But at the same time, when you're able to reach that level, it's very much rewarding. And with that, I want to say thank you very much and goodbye to our listeners for this week's episode. We're going to be back with, let's see whatever topic we come up with for the next episode. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this installment of the Shark Bites podcast. If you want to stay informed about upcoming episodes, please subscribe to our podcast on YouTube or your podcasting platform of choice. My name is Roland Knall. See you next time.